Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. Now, we're going to back up just a little bit because in this uh, chapter, in this little portion that we've just read, are some very powerful truths about not only the results, specifically in verse 11 and 12, of this, this sorrow that was from in a godly manner, sorrow in a godly manner, but that that sorrow that led to repentance, godly sorrow produces repentance. Two people that we can look at in Scripture that stand out for us very clearly, that simultaneously were working through some pretty serious issues and some pretty devastating times for themselves. One was Judas Iscariot, and the second was Peter, both of which betrayed and denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas, you remember, was in the upper room with the gang. They were hanging out together, and Jesus is, as Jesus is saying, he who dips his bread to sop with me, you know, he is my betrayer, and, you know, they're just kind of going to, <laughs> with their piece of bread simultaneously. Can you imagine that? You're sitting there, and you're watching this go down. It's almost unnoticeable as this takes place. It's almost, because they're just eating and dining together, and as this transpires, Judas dips his bread at the same time as Jesus. And all of a sudden, Judas gets up and leaves. The other guy's just thinking, well, you know, he's keeping track of the, the dough, so maybe we're out of bread, you know? I don't know. He's keeping track of the money, and maybe he's gotta go do something. Yeah, he's gotta go watch out. You guys out there, you go, okay? Yeah, you're okay. Um, the idea is he leaves. He just, he, he's gone now. And he knows what he's doing. Now, Jesus is in the garden, Right? Jesus sees Judas, it comes to him, and Jesus calls him friend. Friend, what are you, what's going on? I love the heart of the Lord. The Lord knew everything that was going on, but Jesus was giving him this one, hey, friend, you know, his heart for him, even knowing who he was. Then he gets hauled off. Judas, what does Judas end up going and doing? Remember, he had been given 30 pieces of silver for this transaction. And we know there's tons of prophetic things that are tied to that. We just don't have time this morning to go over all that. But the idea is this was a prophetic thing put into motion. These 30 pieces of silver, he realized, you know, then, man, I, this is wrong. What I've done is wrong. So he grabs the 30 pieces of silver and he throws them in to the temple. And the only people that are going in after that which these guys don't even want to touch it, is the religious leaders that gave them the money. They know it's bad. They know it's bad money. This is just bad stuff. But they have to go in and deal with it, but they know they can't use it for anything there. I mean, it's just, this is evil stuff. They at least had enough sense of that because it was the price of betrayal. The other interesting thing is for betrayal like this, when you go back and study the law, the requirement was that it was to hang himself, to do away with himself. 
the cost or the price of betrayal in that way was that it would be a, a hanging or he would have to be killed, the cost and the price of the betrayal. So he goes out. Now think about this. You and I, we fail. We fail the Lord. No matter how self-righteous or pious you may feel, I guarantee you, you fail the Lord. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We, it's, 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 it's part of living in this tent, okay? The reality is, what do you do? Do you go Judas style? You see, self-eradication. I'm gonna try and correct this myself and I'm just gonna go Harry Carey style. We can do that in our minds in certain ways with situations and circumstances. It may not be a physical manifestation directly. It may be. But the reality is, is dealing with this, I look at another guy. He completely kills himself and it's a disaster in that sense, right? And then there's Peter who gives us a wonderful, wonderful example. Let's turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, that's our first stop with this. Luke 22. Remember, but the sorrow of the world produces death. That, that's, okay, and, and we see that with, with Judas, don't we? The sorrow of the world, Luke 22, I believe, uh, verse 31. You remember the disciples in this portion were just kind of disputing over who's gonna be great, and they're completely sidetracked on the big, the big picture of what's going on. The Lord says to Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said, I am ready to go with you both in, to prison and to death, Peter says. And then he, Jesus says to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times that you know me. Disturbing, no doubt. I love verse 32, that I've prayed for you, that your faith should not fail, and that when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren, that there's a hope, you know, for Peter, that, hey, even though there's failure, there's something past failure. You can be used even though you failed, even though you've fallen short. We go a little bit further. We find out how this plays out. You remember in verse 54, as Jesus has been arrested and hauled off, Peter follows at a distance, verse 55, same chapter. Peter sat amongst the, the group kind of, you know, that's at a distance of hanging around the enemy's fire, basically. This one gal starts asking and saying, hey, I, I think I've seen you with, with this guy, with Jesus. He says, no, I, I, he denies him. Woman, I don't, I don't know him. In verse 58. And after a little while, um, another saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I'm not. I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Then after an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also is with them, for he is a Galilean. So they can tell by his accent, man, you're not from around here, dude. He, again, still denies him. Man, I do not know what you're saying. And immediately after the third time, the rooster crows. Peter's certainly quickly reminded. Jesus being escorted out right at that time, 
right as he's escorted out, Jesus is looking at Peter. Peter, right then, knows that he has radically, radically failed. It's all become very clear. He's not just protecting himself, you know, sitting around the fire, probably just trying to cover his bases. I'm trying to go undercover. Don't want anybody to really know what I'm doing, you know, whatever. But then all of a sudden, the rooster crows. He's reminded of what Jesus has told him, and he looks over, and there's Jesus looking at him. And I do not believe that Jesus looked at him, looked at Peter with some kind of, uh, you know, hateful look or, or anything. I'm sure he just looked at him. And I'm sure, his, I'm sure Jesus' eyes were very penetrating. Any of us who have ever experienced failure or had the Lord glance into our, our lives in that way, you know what that sense is, but it's the heart of love. Jesus looking at him. Peter remembers the word of the Lord. In verse 62, we get to this thought of a repentant heart as it begins. This recognition of what has happened. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Remember, Judas went out. Same type of thing. Felt horrible about what he had done. But just kills himself. The, the worldly sorrow, the worldly, basically Judas was sorry that he had gotten caught and exposed for what he had done. Big difference between knowing that there's been failure between us and the Lord and that now there's some breach in the relationship. Different type of, of, of thing. Peter now is like, oh man, I have failed, and I've, he goes out and weeps bitterly. Now, in John chapter 21, we kind of get the conclusion to this whole, I guess, thought or, or really what, what really actually ends up happening. In John chapter 21, Peter's hanging around the, the other guys that he's been spending the last three years with. He's been touring, you know, the gospel tour uh, throughout uh, you know, the Galilee and parts of uh, Israel and stuff. And he's, he's been on the gospel tour with Jesus. Awesome. But as he's uh, done this, this three-year tour with, with Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus is gone. And Peter just says, well, cool three years. That was interesting. I failed radically. I think I'm just gonna split and go back and do what I was doing. So he says, I'm going fishing. Just, I'm just gonna go back to what's comfortable. I'm gonna go back to what I know. I'm gonna go back and just go back fishing. Well, gosh, I've got a question. And maybe you can help your, yourself with this and help me with this, but think about this. Where'd he get the boat? Now, I don't think he had much money. He's been touring, doing the gospel tour for the last three years, hanging out with the Lord, and they didn't need much because, you know, where do you get the boat? You ever heard of the idea? I had this happen to me when I was on the swim team in high school, and I'd finished the race. I thought I'd done okay, but man, my coach, he was a ex-Marine, real hardcore Marine guy, and man, he looked at me, 
And I thought I'd done pretty well, you know, really. He's the same guy that smacked me over the head with, a, with one of those uh, kickboard paddles, you know. And you, I was goofing around. I deserved that one. That was legit. But, um, but uh, this other time, I hop out of the pool. This is at a race, a swim meet. I hop out of the pool. I, I thought I'd done, you know, I, I'd done one of my best times and all this stuff. And he comes up to me and he goes, what was that? I'm, th- I'm thinking, gosh, this guy's going to be stoked. It's gone well. What was that? He looks at me and goes, man, you left too much in the pool. You left, you held back. You held back in that race. It's like, hmm, that's not what I was thinking I was gonna get when I got out of the water. I held something back. What's interesting to me is this idea of where do you have a boat? Yeah, we'll give up all that we have to follow you, Jesus. Peter was just talking about all that. Where do you get the boat? I guess he cut some limbs and went camo style and kind of tucked a boat away off to the side. I don't know. But he got out and went fishing with these other guys, with his guys, the guys that went with him. The only reason I'm bringing this up is because you and me sometimes think we're fully abandoned to the Lord, but we're holding stuff back in reserve. We're holding back on what, what really we're saying we've fully given to the Lord. But we're holding this stuff back and we're not really full bore. We're not really peddled to the floor. We're not really being the men and women of God that we've learned about when God says, no, you really can't do that anymore. And you just go pining around and feeling sorry for you because you can't do what you think you're supposed to do because maybe there's been a failure. And you can't maybe do all that. That happened to Moses. You're in great company. But what made him a man of God And what made David a a man of God was the fact that David went out, even though he was a man of blood and was not allowed to build the temple, he did everything he could to store up all the supplies and everything and get everything laid out so that Solomon could build the temple. That work would not be thwarted. It will go on and he would do all that he could do, even though there was limitations for what he could do. He didn't pine away. It wasn't all about David. It wasn't all about Moses. It wasn't on some big ego trip, like he's got to do this for God. Moses couldn't enter in. 40 years he spent, 40 years wandering, serving the Lord, serving those people, and because of a failure, couldn't enter into the promised land. But did it stop him? No. He went in chapter 33, he went out and did blessing and really did all that he could to prepare those people, giving them information when they go in, what was supposed to transpire. He did all that he could do even though there was limitations. I think that's what makes us men and women of God. Doing all that we can do, doing all that God allows us to do, not worrying about what God's saying, not now. No, that's not for you. Not worrying about how come they get to, how come I can't, but they are focused on what God does allow. Man, it changes your experience as a believer. It revolutionizes your heart walking with the Lord. Peter stashed some boat or somehow had access to something to just go back to what was comfortable, go back to what he's doing. He was prepared for that. Hey, I'm just gonna go back to what I was doing. Let's read on, find out how this lays out. Ultimately, Jesus sees them as they are fishing and he calls out to them, children, have you any food? In other words, it's, hey, did you guys catch anything? Hey, kids, (laughs) these are grown men. Hey, kids, did you catch any fish? Fishermen that should know how to catch fish, right? Now, at least 
there's some element maybe of honesty because most of us who've done much fishing don't like to respond, no. <laughs> we like to say, I talk about the one that we lost, the one that got away, the one that snapped our line, the one, you know, we like to talk about all that. But we certainly, or the net broke, gee whiz, you know, it was radical, but the net busted, you know. Nobody wants to talk about, no, caught nothing. It was a bad trip. No, no, they don't want to say it, but they do. And he says to them, cast your net on the right side. I do think it's good for us to note which side's the right side, whichever side Jesus tells you to cast a net on. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, that's the right thing to do. It doesn't matter, just whatever he says, that's what you're supposed to do. They cast the net, they bring in such a haul, it's, it's, it's radical, they don't, you know, it's just an, an abundance. They go back and forth saying, I think it's the Lord. Peter recognized that. Peter's just in his swim trunks, he's just wearing his board shorts now. And, but he's got his stuff stashed in the boat, right? He puts on his coat, his, 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 his little outer garb, and then swims to shore. He puts that on and then swims to shore. It's all that's left. Put on his outer garment. He'd removed it, plunged into the sea. The disciples brought the boat in after him. And then you know Jesus goes through and systematically talks to Peter and gets him to realize hey, what are you supposed to be focusing on? What are you supposed to be doing? This was a sorrow or something that led to ultimate repentance, a change of heart. He turned back and started doing the exact things that the Lord called and purposed him to do. That may not be exactly what maybe he had envisioned at some other point in time, that's okay. That's sometimes the way it goes. It may not be the exact thing that we think that we're supposed to do or whatever, but Peter got the idea, man. I am a servant of God. I'm to do what God wants me to do. I'm following the Lord. The Lord restored him. He was sorrowful. He was grieved, but it led to repentance, a changed heart, a changed life. And even as Peter had kind of gone off on his own way, doing something, the Lord went out and got a hold of his heart again and got him thinking right. And I think the word does that for us. As we get into that place where we let the word cleanse, let the word speak to our hearts, we bring it back around and we see the change that takes place, a radical change that takes place, and what a contrast. Now I rejoice that you were made sorry but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted. Now, we're gonna close out with this thought. This is an interesting thing. That word salvation there is not just the concept that you and I can be given the gift of everlasting life. It's not just that. Salvation is not just, it's all that is encompassed in giving your life to Jesus Christ. It's everything, everything that's wrapped up in being a follower of Jesus Christ, all the blessings that we can have, all of the, the life that's ours in the Lord. Not just everlasting life, though it's that, but it's everything. It's, it's the full picture 
of what is ours in salvation, having a, a changed life. And so when it says this, it's, it makes a difference in this because who is Paul speaking with? Who's Paul speaking with? A non-believer or believers? He's writing clearly to believers, isn't he? He's writing to people just like us. And he's saying here to them, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, leading to that fullness of whatever God has for you and I. Now you grasp that, those thoughts, and you tie that back into where we started. As Paul was talking as, as a loving father and saying, our heavenly father's a loving father. And he wants to do good things. Cleanse yourselves. Saying, you guys are believers. You've been cleansed. You remember Jesus said the same thing when he's washing the feet. And Peter said, oh, I'll take a whole bath. No, you don't need a whole. You just need to be, your feet need to be clean. And he was speaking to him about that washing of the water. The word, you've been with me but you just need to get cleaned up a little bit. The same thing is true of our lives, that we wanna have that repentance, that change of life, change of heart in situations in our life that lead to the fullness of what God has, and certainly that would not be regretted. We wouldn't regret that. That wouldn't be regrettable, that kind of circumstance in any of our lives. Repentance is so important. Brothers and sisters, it's a way of life for Christians. Something goes awry, you've said or done, thought, handled things improperly, turn away from it and start moving toward God. It's not just turning our back on something, but it's turning away from something and actively pursuing something else. This is why it says leading to salvation, godly sorrow. This is what we watched with Peter, a godly sorrow that led ultimately, that repentance, that ultimately led to the fullness ultimately of what God would want to do in and through Peter's life. God restored him. Jesus restored him. And Jesus restored him, you'll notice, publicly in front of the other brothers. He restored him. And he moved forward serving the Lord. Unlike Judas, who couldn't deal with the guilt and the shame and everything that he had done and just did away with himself. Couldn't process it, couldn't deal with it. When we give it to the Lord, the Lord's able to help us move forward and it's not to be regretted. This is Pastor Jim. Thanks for tuning in today and listening to the message. I know that God is doing a work in your life. I know that as you hear his word, he's doing something in your heart, and he wants to begin that good work in your life, as he's done in many of our lives, and he wants to forgive you of your sin. Maybe some of you are just carrying that weight of sin, and you just want to be forgiven. Well, God wants to forgive you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
God loves you. He wants to forgive you of all your sin. All you have to do is pray this simple prayer of faith and begin this new journey with Jesus. Again, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you and God will forgive you. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, I want to ask that you would forgive me of my sin. You know exactly where I've been and what's been going on in my life, and I want to begin a new life in you. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior, and that I would begin this new journey with you. I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might live a life that would please you and bring you glory. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. And if you're social media savvy, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash calvarychapelkc. Also, Living Fountains podcasts are available in the iTunes store now, and you can download them at no cost. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com, or you can simply contact the church office at 913-681-1635. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.